0: Oh! to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson.
1: Luke, chapter 21. Now, The ministry of Jesus is in its final days. Sunday, he made his triumphant entry into the city, was rejected. Monday, he came back into the temple and cleansed it. And daily, he was in the temple teaching. And on one of these days, perhaps Tuesday, uh, the Religious leaders came seeking to trap him in his speech, uh, asking him trick questions, hoping that he would uh, get caught in saying something negative towards Rome or towards their religious beliefs in order that they might uh, accuse him and get him a sentence of death. Uh, Jesus was far too clever for them. He Uh, could perceive their duplicity, and um, he actually silenced them. Uh, They really hesitated asking him any further questions uh, because of his brilliant answers. Uh, He then uh, spoke out to the people, warning them to beware of these scribes. Uh, which love to wear long robes and love the greetings in the marketplaces, the homage that was paid to them by the common people. Uh, they uh, take the best seats uh, in the synagogues and at the feast they occupy the highest rooms. Uh, they devour widows' houses, though in they make uh, a pre their prayers were very showy, they long prayers just to impress people, not to impress God. And he said they're going to receive a greater damnation. Now, it's right in this context of this uh, verbal. Uh, battle with the religious leaders and his warning of the people to beware of them, that he looked up and he saw the rich men as they were casting their gifts into the treasury. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, take heed to yourself that you do not your righteousness before men to be seen of men. Don't let your righteous actions be motivated by your desire to be praised by men so that you do them in such a way as you draw attention to yourself. And he uh, spoke about how you give. He said, don't sound a trumpet before you so that everybody knows how generous your gifts are. But he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. Just give to your father uh, in secret. Don't make a big show of it. Now, I don't know that they actually had bands go before them and trumpets playing as they brought their gifts or, you know, the trumpet flare, here he comes, you know, and uh, da-da-da-da, you know, and the guy comes in. But uh, the idea is, is don't make a big, flashy show of it. Now he is watching, and, and no doubt he was referring to people who did make uh, very showy presentations unto the Lord. And so he they, they, they looked up, and he saw these rich men as they were casting uh, their money into the treasury. And he saw also a poor little widow woman who threw in two mites which would be worth maybe a quarter of a cent. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow has cast in more than all of them. For these have all given out of their abundance, but she, out of her uh, poverty has cast in all of her living. She gave everything. Now, what they gave wasn't going to hurt them at all. They gave of their surplus, their penury, their abundance. But she gave of her living, her substance. That's all she has, Jesus said. So it's interesting. God has an interesting bookkeeping system. It isn't really how much you have given, but... What kind of a sacrifice it was for you to give. And uh, God honors the sacrifices that we make for Him, the sacrificial giving. Now, at this point, some of the disciples began to just talk about the huge stones from which the temple was built. Herod had sort of a thing for big rocks. He was a short little fellow, they say about four foot eleven. And, and so he loved big things. <laughs> and uh, Josephus tells us that some of the rocks that were used in the temple, of course they were all squared off and, and uh, so finely were they chiseled that they did not use mortar, they just would lay flat on... On top of each other And even today You can hardly insert a knife blade In the crevices They are so finely uh, Finished And uh, They were noticing these huge stones They were remarking of them And also of the ornateness The uh, temple dome was covered with gold And it was just an extremely Beautiful ornate building Something like uh, Twelve stories high, and uh, just a a marvelous bit of architecture, and uh, something that was uh, would would draw your attention. And so the disciples were talking about it—the great stones and all. And Jesus made an interesting prediction. Uh, he said unto them uh, that not. One of these stones, which you see here, will be left standing on another, but they shall be thrown down. In other words, he predicted that it would be destroyed deliberately, not a stone left standing upon another. When they went over to the Mount of Olives, as they were accustomed to do in the daytime, Jesus would teach in the temple at night, He would go over to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And when they came over to the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked him, uh, saying, Master, when will these things be? And what is the sign when these things shall come to pass? Uh, Matthew tells us that they also asked him, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, they really thought that they were asking for one set of signs. In other words, they thought that when the temple was destroyed, it would be the end of the age. They thought it would be all over. Uh, When there is such destruction to the temple, that surely is the end. And in reality... There was to be a space of time between the two events. And we know that that space of time has been over 1,900 years so far. Between the destruction of the temple and uh, the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus began to give to them signs. And first of all, just sort of general. And then he becomes specific. So... Uh, In general, he declares, take heed that you are not deceived, for many shall come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and the time is drawing near, but do not go after them. There will be those that will come along. They'll claim that they are the Messiah. They'll claim that they're ready to bring in a new world order. Uh, Jesus said don't go after them uh, That of course has been true There have been so many people who have come along And raised up uh, followings And uh, are, are actually getting to the place Where they declare that they are going to bring in God's new order uh, And, and there, there are many groups that do that uh, But Jesus said don't go after them uh, you're going to hear of commotions. Uh, don't be terrified. There will be wars. You're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. Throughout the history of man, uh, we've had 18 years of war to every one year of peace. Uh, it seems like always there is conflict going on somewhere in the world as men lusting for power gather men around them, and they begin to fight against others. Uh, and thus we see in uh, the world today in so many areas, uh, there are wars, there are slaughters, there are atrocities that are going on as people are seeking the control and power over other people. Uh, that's just, it seems, a part of human nature, Uh, that desire for power and destroying in order to gain power. And he said, these things are not signs. These things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. It hasn't come yet. This isn't the signs of the end. But then he said unto them, nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. That is, there will be nations that will join together in a confederacy. And so you'll have groups of nations that will be joined together against groups of nations. It won't be just uh, internal type of civil wars, but you'll actually have groups of nations that will combine to come against other groups of nations. A world war, if you would. And, of course, we have seen two such wars in this century. And then there will be great earthquakes in diverse places, famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall be from heaven. So these Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places, and great signs in the heaven. We are seeing a precursor to these. What we see today in famines is not really the complete fulfillment. What we're seeing is just sort of a, a preview of what's going to be. Uh, what we see now is just A foreshadowing of what's going to come, a small foreshadowing. During the Great Tribulation, there is going to be horrible famines uh, upon the earth. In the book of Revelation, it speaks about how when the uh, fourth or the third seal is open, I believe it is, uh, the black horse of famine, a voice said, A measure of wheat, which is about a quart. For uh, a day's wage, uh, whatever the average wage is for a, a, a labor, say a quart of wheat for $40, and uh, three measures of, of barley for $40. Uh, so, uh, tremendously inflated prices because of the shortage of food. Pestilences, we see pestilences now, we see increased pestilences. Uh, We are coming up against some exotic germs. Uh, They have mutated to where they are resistant to uh, the drugs that we have generally used in fighting them. And mutant strains are coming that are impervious to the drugs. Uh, We're extremely concerned right now uh, about this new strain of tuberculosis, uh, which uh, is... Uh, beginning to spread throughout the world because uh, it seems to be impervious to the drugs that we've been using in the past to control uh, uh, tuberculosis. Uh, there, of course, is the HIV virus, which uh, we um, are struggling with, and uh, we 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 don't really have any answer to that. Uh, it's um, It's one that sort of defies uh, any kind of uh, attempts to control it because it is mutating so rapidly and and, and coming out in different forms. If we develop an antidote for one form, uh, there are so many mutant forms that the one antidote wouldn't touch that it's really a big problem, but that's only a foreshadowing. That isn't really into completely the pestilences that Jesus is referring to. And the same with earthquakes. Hey, you haven't seen anything yet. You've seen a few little shakes, but nothing compared to what's going to come as the scripture uh, does prophesy of some really horrendous earthquakes, not localized, not on the San Andreas fault or the Uh, Newport uh, fault, but uh, earthquakes that will shake the whole world. Uh, Then uh, these will be uh, coincident with uh, signs in the heavens, and we'll get to that uh, a little further as Jesus amplifies this. But before these, now he took them out to the end. That's, That's just before he returns and the end of the world age as such. But before this is going to happen, coming back to the signs of the destruction of the temple, uh, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up uh, to the synagogues and into prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it will turn to you, for a testimony, or it will give you an opportunity to testify, to bear witness. So you're going to be arrested, you're going to be brought before the courts, you'll be standing before kings, uh, but uh, it'll just give you an opportunity to witness for me. So it's interesting to look at the book of Acts, and you find how that Stephen was brought before the religious court. But oh, what a testimony he laid on those fellows. Uh, powerful testimony. Paul was brought before various governmental officials, even before Nero. Uh, we don't know anything about Paul's witness before Nero, but you can be sure it was heavy duty. As Paul was witnessing to Festus, the Roman governor, the guy was under such conviction, he began to shake and, and he said, i got to get out of here. I'll talk to you some other time. Uh, as he was uh, giving his witness to Felix, who uh, replaced Festus. Again, uh, he, he shared with him the gospel and what the Lord had done for him. And finally, when Agrippa, King Agrippa, came along, Paul thought, all right, you know, what a chance to win. If I could win Agrippa to the Lord, what that would do. And he laid on Agrippa such a heavy testimony And, uh, in fact, it was so heavy that Festus, who was standing there, got a little shook. And he said, Paul, you're crazy. You've learned too much. You've studied too hard. You flip, man. (laughs) And Paul didn't pay any attention. He said, Agrippa, you believe the Scriptures. I know you believe the Scriptures, you know. And and you know that these things are true. It wasn't in the corner. Agrippa, do you believe? He said, wait a minute, Paul. You're trying to make me a Christian. Uh, But... And yes, he was. Uh, He uh, was definitely trying to do that. So he used every opportunity, as, as Jesus said, it will turn to you for a testimony. So every time they were arrested, every time they stood before the courts, they just really gave a strong witness for Jesus Christ. So he said, settle it in your hearts beforehand, that you're not going to meditate on what you're going to answer. In other words, don't think, oh boy, what will I say, you know, and and make up your little speeches in advance. But he said, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to gainsay or resist. I mean, I'll give you such wisdom that your adversaries won't be able to answer you. I mean, you'll, you'll just have such a powerful witness and, and again I would encourage you to read Stephen's defense before the Sanhedrin and that's exactly what happened it was it was dynamite it was powerful and 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 they weren't able to uh, resist uh, the things that he said the scripture said it was just so powerful was his preaching uh, that uh, they weren't able to resist it and so um, they they were upset by it and stoned him for it but um, It was was tremendous defense The mouth of wisdom And you will be betrayed by your parents By your brothers, your family And your friends And some of you they will put to death And you'll be hated of all men For my name's sake So they're going to be arrested for his name's sake Brought before the rulers and so forth for his name's sake And some of them will be put to death for his name's sake. It's interesting that when the disciples were arrested and were beaten and commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus, they went from those beatings rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. So they saw it as suffering for him. Those that were martyred looked at it as dying for him. And he said, dying for my name's sake. Now this is something I don't quite understand what Jesus meant by this. Maybe some of you can write me a note and give me some suggestions. But he said, there shall not a hair of your head perish. And uh, I'm sure there's some spiritual significance to this. He has just told them that they're going to be killed. Some of them are going to be killed. So he's not saying that there's not going to be any harm come to you. Uh, I would think that the word perish is probably meant in an eternal sense. As uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. And so the perish is is in an eternal sense. In other words, as Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body and after that have no power. But fear him who after the body is killed has the power to cast your soul into hell. That's the one you need to fear. So he told them plainly, some of you are going to be killed. You're going to be beaten. He he didn't hide the the problems that they were going to face as Christians. Uh, And so... Uh, the parish, I think, is in the in an eternal sense rather than just this body. You see the the Lord puts far more emphasis upon your soul and your spirit than it does than he does your body because he knows that your body is only here for a limited time. i mean you 've got a planned obsolescence you 're going down the hill catabolic forces have set in. You're getting old. It's only a matter of time, and you're going to check out. So knowing that the body is temporal, the Lord places the emphasis upon the soul and the spirit of man, because those go on long after the body is dissolved in the grave. Your soul and spirit continues to exist. And thus the Bible puts the emphasis upon the spiritual aspect of a man's being rather than the physical aspect of a man's being. And then Jesus said these words, In patience possess ye your souls. In other words, be patient. Be in control by being patient. We so often want to fly off. We so often want to respond. We want action. I want to see it now. And, and we, we so often are going around all tense. But Jesus said, possess your soul. Control it. Impatience. Control your soul. Continuing concerning the signs now, coming back to the signs of the destruction of the temple. When you will see Jerusalem encircled By the armies Then know that the desolation thereof is close When you see the Roman troops Setting the siege against Jerusalem When you see them camped on Mount Scopus And on the Mount of Olives When you see them surrounding the city And building their forts around the city Know that the destruction of the temple is near. The desolation, that is, of the temple itself, is getting close. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let them not that are in the countries enter back into the city. Don't come into Jerusalem, but get out of here. Now, according to early tradition... Of course, the main church was in Jerusalem. We know that for the most part, the apostles escaped the destruction of Jerusalem. John lived on another 20-some years after the destruction of Jerusalem. He escaped from the destruction of the Roman army and the mass slaughter, as did the apostles. Early tradition declares that the church, when the city was surrounded by the Roman troops, and of course, Josephus, in his book, The Wars of the Jews, gives uh, graphic uh, details of the siege and uh, of the slaughter uh, of the people within the city as they were fighting each other for food, killing each other for food. Uh, gangs roaming the street and going into houses, killing the people and, and taking their food. It was real anarchy within the city. Josephus said more Jews were killed by Jews than were killed by the Roman soldiers. Uh, early tradition declares that the church was gathered one evening in prayer and the Spirit of God, through prophecy, warned them to flee out the east gate that night. And according to this tradition, they just all fled that night out the east gate. And for some unknown reason, the Roman guard at the east gate was not posted that night. And thus the church escaped that night as the result of direction and warning of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We do know that they did escape, whether or not that tradition is accurate. We do know that they did escape. uh, And Jesus is warning them here. When you see the city encircled, you know that the destruction is closed, so flee to the mountains and uh, let them de- uh, in the midst of the city depart out and uh, those that are in the countryside don't come in. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. The vengeance of God against the nation who rejected his son, his promised savior. They said, when Pilate washed his hands and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood, see you to it. They said, his blood be upon us and our children. And here it was fulfilled. And as I said, graphically um, chronicled for us by Josephus. Days of vengeance that all of the things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are pregnant at that time and to those who are nursing in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. The Romans, when they took the city, were ruthless. They didn't spare women, children, wholesale slaughter. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led away captive into all of the nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And thus it happened. When the Romans took the city of Jerusalem... Those that survived the horrible slaughter were taken as slaves back to Rome. They had a big procession, marching the slaves through the streets of Rome with the trophies that they had taken from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, from that day, 70 A.D. to June of 1967, was trodden down By the Gentiles It was under Gentile control The times of the Gentiles is a period of time That actually goes back to Nebuchadnezzar When Nebuchadnezzar took the uh, city of Jerusalem And conquered Judah That began the time of the Gentiles. Uh, The temple was destroyed. And it was a time of the Gentile world powers. Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, dealt with the the full spectrum of what's going to happen during the times of the Gentile world powers. But it began with Nebuchadnezzar. And it is still today, we are still in the times of the Gentiles Except that it seems that we're sort of in a transition. Because in 1967, when Jerusalem again came under the control of Israel, the nation of Israel, that would signify that the times of the Gentiles, in a technical sense, was fulfilled. We are in a small transition period here between the times of the Gentiles and the establishing of the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. There are these other events, this further cleansing of the earth, the fiery judgment of God that's going to come in the purifying and in the sifting out and all, but we're in a transition period right now. We are at the time of the end. There's There, there can be no question about that. The fact that Jerusalem is under the reign now of the nation of Israel. Of course, we know that that's one of the uh, hot issues in the Middle East right now, because the Palestinians are claiming that their intent is to set up their capital in Jerusalem. And uh, Israel has said it shall never be, uh, that Jerusalem belongs to them. But yet... uh, it is a sore point in the negotiations and all. Uh, Jerusalem seems to be the stickler, but it is under Jewish control, and uh, to ever be wrested from Jewish control uh, would, uh, I mean, it won't be done without a humongous battle, which would probably also include nuclear weapons, which Iran, of course, is seeking to develop, and Israel has already developed, so... Uh, It's one of those sore spots Uh, But the interesting thing is that it is under the control of the nation of Israel And thus was trodden under the foot of the Gentiles Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled Now, that's the signs of the destruction of the temple Now Jesus turns to the signs of his coming the end of the times of the Gentiles, the end of the Gentile world rule, uh, the time of the end of man's rule over man, the governments of man. And uh, so, coincident with, with the end of the age of man's governments, There will be signs in the sun and in the moon. This goes back to verse 11, great signs from heaven. There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth there will be distress of nations. So in the heavens there are going to be signs. It's interesting to me how that there is such constancy of Scripture. Uh, Jesus here speaks of the signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, uh, and other places throughout the Scriptures. It speaks of these uh, signs that will take place in the heavens, in the celestial heavens. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, that is, of that seven-sealed scroll, uh, there was a great earthquake uh, the earthquake is coincident with the signs that are in the heaven. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon will not cause her light to shine. God said, I will punish the world in Isaiah for their evil and the wicked of their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible and the moon will become as blood. Revelation six thirteen, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. Even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when it's shaken in a mighty wind. Uh, The heavens departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Great cataclysmic events taking place. Here on the earth, uh, mountains being moved, islands disappearing. New mountain ranges being thrust up. Uh, A total cataclysmic upheaval of the geographical surface Of the earth. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, mighty men, every bondman, every free man, were hiding themselves in dens, in the rocks and of the mountains, and calling on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them, and to hide them from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the day, the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Isaiah 13, 6, said, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty, and all hands will be faint. Every man's heart will melt. Now notice uh, the, the people are fearful for the things that are coming upon them in Revelation. Jesus said men's hearts failing them for fear because of the things that are coming to pass. Isaiah said, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction. All hands will be faint. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman who is in travail. And they shall be amazed at one another, and their faces will be as flames. Because the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy the sinners out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened and his going forth. The moon shall not cause their light to shine. God said, I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I want you to notice that. This great tribulation, who is it directed against? I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, uh, so that God's judgment is directed not against Christians, not against the church, but against the wicked, the sinners, the evil ones. So God said, I'll shake the heavens, and the earth will be moved out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts the day of his fierce anger. Joel said, the earth will quake before them. The heavens will tremble. The sun and the moon will be dark, and the stars will withdraw their shining. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. There will be blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness. The moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. That is the second coming of Jesus Christ, the awesome day of the Lord comes. The word terrible there is awesome. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. The stars will withdraw their shining, Joel 3.15. Haggai joins in and says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, and it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and then the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So prior to the coming of the desire of nations, Jesus Christ, there's going to be this tremendous uh, upheaval of of the uh, earth, the the cataclysmic uh, kind of judgments from God affecting the earth and affecting uh, the the skies. In Zechariah 14.5, and you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Yea, you will flee like you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with him. Revelation sixteen eighteen. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. As I said, you haven't seen anything yet. There's on about eight point and so forth. Hey, that's a, that's a baby. Uh, this thing's going to be huge. And the great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. The great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and every island fled away, and mountains were not found. Again, the description of this upheaval that's going to take place upon the earth. Isaiah 34 said, Come near, ye nations. Hear and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear and all that are in the world, all of the things that are going to come forth. For the indignation of the Lord, and the word indignation is an Old Testament word used for the time of the great tribulation. Uh, you'll find it in Daniel and all, and it's used to, for the time of the great in, a tribulation. The indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. And he hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to slaughter. Their slain also will be cast out, and the smell will come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains will be melted with their blood, and all of the hosts of heaven will be dissolved. The heavens will be rolled together as a scroll, and all of their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falleth off from the vine and as a falling fig from a fig tree, And so uh, these events are described, uh, a, a tremendous meteorite uh, shower that will impact the earth, huge meteorites hitting the earth. Uh, you look at that uh, crater out there in, in Arizona and think of that maybe happening uh, right in Santa Ana. Uh, it would wipe out everyone in Orange County. Not a person would be left in Orange County. And and can you imagine and picture a world being devastated uh, by the divine judgment of God as as these meteorites are hitting like figs falling from a tree, uh, ripe overripe figs, it, it, when the time of the Sirocco winds when when they begin to blow these figs just falling off, and thus these great meteorites, hailstones, ninety pounds. Uh, palmetting the earth. Uh, Just terrible devastation during this time known as the Great Tribulation, also referred to as the day of his wrath has come. God's judgment because of a Christ-rejecting, rebellious world who has refused to submit to God but has said we want nothing to do with God and we will live apart and without God. Romans chapter 1, Paul warns us that the wrath of God is coming against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness, beginning there with verse 18. He said, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world, are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even the eternal power and Godhead. So they're without excuse. God has left His His signature all over the world. Every life form, God's left His His mark, His signature. Uh, it, it takes a, a huh, well, it takes a fool to say there is no God. Uh, that's what the Bible says: a fool has set in his heart there is no God. Uh, this, this whole business, uh, uh, and it's supposed to be science, uh, and it is taught as science in, from grade school on up through college, it's taught as science that matter acting on matter over an indefinite period of time can produce anything. Thus, you are the product of matter acting on matter over billions of years, and and here you are. You're the product of these uh, long series of series of fortuitous concurrences of accidental circumstances. Uh, now let's let's carry this. Let's just look at this this theory for a moment. Matter acting on matter can produce anything, uh, provided you have enough time. How many of you believe that if we went prospecting out in the desert, we might be able to find a new Porsche coming out of the rocks? (laughs) Matter has been acting on matter out there for a long time. If it can produce something as complex as the human body, surely it could produce something as simple as a Porsche. (laughs) But this is a special Porsche. Because this Porsche has the capacity to repair itself when it's damaged. Because your body does that. So your wife has it and she runs into a telephone pole, you say, Oh, that's all right, and you just parking in the garage a couple weeks, it'll be okay. (laughs) It'll straighten itself out. You're out on the freeway blowing the thing out and you throw a rod. Oh boy, that'll take three weeks. Parked in the garage before it can repair itself. But you know, give it a little rest and some chicken soup, and it ought to be feeling fine, you know. You want a new one? Park yours next to your wife's. Yeah, baby porsches before long. We laugh because it's idiocy. You know, our brains say, hey, it can't be. That's That just can't happen. Then why are we so gullible as to think that something as complex as the human body could be produced by matter acting on matter over billions of years of time? It's plain, well, Paul said it. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He said, (laughs) and boy, this is so right, because they knew God, they didn't glorify God as God, neither were they thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. I mean, how did our eye develop according to the evolutionary uh, concept? Well, when the little worm had come out of the ooze, as it was crawling on the ground the sun beat upon its upper side formed a little mutation sort of a freckle and gradually over a period of time that freckle turned into an eye and the little worm was able to see <laughs> crawling over the rocks it you know sort of cut itself and sort of formed calluses and the calluses grew into legs and you had a salamander So now you have little legs and you can walk and you have eyes and you can see. A few more billion years, you know, and you'll be able to stand upright and you'll be able to think and be able to do calculus and build computers and all, you know. Just give enough time. (laughs) Vain in their imaginations. (laughs) Their foolish hearts were darkened and professing themselves to be wise, they actually became fools. For the fool has said in his heart... There is no God. And the only reason why the evolutionary theory has any acceptance at all is because it gives man a highly imaginative uh, cause for man's existence apart from God. In other words, we just evolved out of the nothingness of the past. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image that was made like corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts that they might dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Because they changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Today we have a very strong movement of the worship of Mother Earth, the Gia principle, that the, the earth itself is alive. It's an organism that is alive and, and all. And so we are to respect Mother Earth. We're to worship Mother Earth. And we're to, uh, all of the environmental sense, all from Hinduism. God created it for us, for our blessing. Not for us to destroy, but to take care of it, yes. But not to worship. For this cause, God gave them up. That's pretty strong words. God gave them over, and now God gives them up. Up to vile affections. Now, this, you see, is is when man turns from God, invents these fanciful theories to try to explain his existence apart from God Doesn't want God And so God gives them over to reprobate minds God gives them up to their vile lust and affections And thus you have a whole breakdown in your society And, and as, as a result of this breakdown You have murders, you have gang warfare You have a disrespect for life and all. Well, let's find what Paul has to say. God gave them over to vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, began to burn in their lust towards each other. Men with men doing that which is unthinkable, and receiving in in themselves the recompense of their error, which was uh, fit for what they were doing. Now you read of the practices that are going on in the homosexual community.
0: We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the wrath of God. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 21 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is one eight hundred two seven 272 word and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's one eight hundred two seven two ninety six seventy three. 272 9673 If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628.
1: May the Lord bless you May the love of Jesus Christ Just fill your heart and your life The excitement of walking with Him and serving Him May you be enriched in your walk in the Spirit May God's blessings be upon your life this week As you become The light In this dark world Reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in that darkness where you work, where you live, where you attend school. May God's Spirit work in you as he brings to your awareness those areas of failure those unintentional sins, that we might bring them to the Lord and confess them to Him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. In Jesus' name.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: The Word for Today is pleased to present a flash drive of audio Bible studies by Kay Smith, titled, A Collection of Cherished Messages. Just listen to what others are saying. Kay Smith changed my life. Her teachings encouraged me to want more of Jesus. And through her counsel and mentoring, I fell in love with Him in a deeper way. When I first heard Kay, I was driving in my car. I was so moved that it brought
0: me to tears because I needed to repent. That moment impacted my life to be a better mom and who I am today. Renew your strength, please.
1: I beg, I beseech, I entreat, and if there's any other word, I do that too. Get in His Word. Make it more than your necessary food every day. Kay Smith has a special place in her heart to teach and encourage women to live for Jesus. To order the splash drive of over 90 audio messages by Kay Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org
0: or call 800 272 9673.